Where does it go? Where does it go? All of that cast off junk, where does it go? Welcome to Where Does It Go, a podcast about the life cycles of stuff. I'm Emily. And I'm Sarah. And today, Sarah, I'm going to tell you about where Bob Ross's paintings went. <gasps> yes! So, Bob Ross, if, if people are unfamiliar with the phenomenon of Bob Ross, was a prodigious painter. And he, when he started painting, he learned a wet-on-wet oil painting technique that he then used to teach painting and eventually became the host of a PBS show called The Joy of Painting, which had 31 seasons and around 403 episodes. And you can see a selection of Joy of Painting on Netflix. There's also a Bob Ross YouTube channel. Uh, His shows are fairly widely available. They were made from the 80s to the 90s until just before he died, actually. He died in 1995 of lymphoma. And it's thought that during the show, he made over a thousand paintings on top of all the other paintings he made teaching courses and workshops and then for personal enjoyment, he estimates he made about 30,000 paintings in his entire life, which is a lot. So just the joy of painting paintings, he'd paint three paintings per episode. One would be a reference that he would use to paint the second one, which he would paint while being recorded. And then there would be a third painting that would be of the highest quality he could make of the same subject. They were identical or as identical as he could get them. Uh, The third would be featured in a book. So it was sort of archival quality. And typically at least one painting per episode would often go to Annette Kowalski, who was a family friend of Bob Ross's. She was a student of his. She was, she sort of discovered him in terms of working with him to create the show the joy of painting and bob ross incorporated she was uh sometimes director on his show and bob ross lived with her and her husband for quite a while her husband is ex-cia there are and that's one place where bob ross's paintings went Uh, there are a bunch of bob ross paintings in the kowalski home annette kowalski has a very very trained eye in terms of determining whether a painting was actually painted by Bob Ross or if it was painted in the style of Bob Ross but painted by someone else. They probably have the largest private collection, but it's also kind of a a who knows question, and I'll, I'll go through why. So like I said, Bob Ross estimates he painted around 30,000 paintings in his life. He sold some of his paintings prior to his joy of painting work when he lived in Alaska. He lived in Alaska because he was part of the Air Force, and he worked in the Air Force for 20 years. And part of his sort of very soft-spoken, kind, and generous demeanor, and also his enjoyment of mountains and trees, comes from his very sort of, his very deliberate decision to never yell at anyone again. In the Air Force, he had to yell at a lot of people, and and he really didn't like that. So he was very deliberate in developing his sort of kindness and quietness, which I really appreciate when people are deliberate in cultivating their personality like that. 
And then, you know, he loved Alaska. So a lot of the mountains and the snowy paintings and the, the trees, the happy little trees were inspired by <laughs> his time in Alaska. So of those, you know, 30,000 paintings minus the 1,200 he painted during Joy of Painting, he sold some of his work in Alaska before he became a teacher. When he was a teacher, he would gift paintings to his students sometimes. And then according to Bob Ross himself, both, you know, while he was a painter doing Joy of Painting, he would, he would send quite a few different paintings to different PBS stations. And there they'd often be auctioned off for charity or funding, or they might have just been, you know, hung on the walls. That was not an uncommon thing either. So now we'll get to like the bulk of Bob Ross's paintings. They're in two places. They are in a warehouse in Herndon, Virginia, owned by Bob Ross Incorporated. They're stored in, mostly in cardboard boxes, although some are hung on the walls. The warehouse is adjacent to an office building used by the company, and they have absolutely no interest in selling any of them. Uh, Bob wow. Ross Incorporated. Yeah, exactly. It was just, and then there's a very charming brief documentary that the New York Times did interviewing the people that work at the office, and they're very sort of casual about it. They're like, it was just never really Bob's thing to make a bunch of money off of his work, so it's not something we're considering. Which is huh. pretty fair. It's respectful of, you know, the essence of Bob Ross. And you can buy all kinds of supplies and classes from Bob Ross Incorporated. And you can actually call 1-800-BOB-ROSS and talk to them about Bob Ross or buying supplies or classes. Or becoming a certified teacher. Uh, we are not sponsored by Bob Ross Incorporated. They are just a key component of where Bob Ross's paintings went. So they probably have around a thousand Bob Ross paintings. And then there's also a Bob Ross art workshop and gallery in New Smyrna Beach, Florida, where there are several paintings on display, Bob Ross paintings, and you can take classes to learn the techniques Ross used to paint. And Bob Ross was originally from Florida, and it's funny that he was in Florida and then Alaska, but it's, it's a big difference while still being in the United States. Yes. So those are the two major places where Bob Ross's work reside. And the third major place is the Smithsonian National Museum of American History. Really? And, yep. Starting in, I think, 2018, but it might have been a little earlier than that. They got in touch with Bob Ross Incorporated on putting together a representative collection of Bob Ross works. And they created a curated collection. So they didn't just... Uh, they worked with Bob Ross Incorporated and tried to come up with a collection that had different paintings that were important. But there's a lot of similarities to Bob Ross's paintings, so they had to be very sort of thoughtful and particular about what they selected. And it's a permanent collection, as far as I could tell, and it's alongside uh, works that are representative of, say, Julia Child or Mr. Rogers. So it's sort of a public broadcasting permanent collection oh wow okay cool and the smithsonian component is particularly interesting in that for a very long time for the bulk of his public career bob ross was told regularly and acknowledged that his work would never hang in the smithsonian and i've got a, really I've got yeah, uh, and, I've, and when he was interviewed, he'd be told that. He would tell people that. I've got a quote here. Uh, this is a quote from an article quoting 
the Orlando Sentinel in 1990. Uh, Bob Ross saying, well, we show people that anybody can paint a picture they're proud of. It may never hang in the Smithsonian, but it will certainly be something they'll hang in their home and be proud of. And that's what it's all about. And I find that very heartwarming that now Bob Ross's work is in the Smithsonian. That's and awesome. Yeah. I, I appreciate Bob Ross's ethos and how much he cared about animals and uh, how much he deliberately cultivated a personality of kind quietness. Uh on the slightly less heartwarming scale, a batch of reference paintings were at one time stolen from his van. So there may be actually 13 black market Bob Ross paintings out there. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so some of them have been stolen. Some of them have been sold. Some of them have been auctioned for charity. Some of them have been given as gifts. Some of them are kept in private collections. And now some of them are in massive public collections. Uh, that, wow. is the, that is the reach of Bob Ross's work. So I've been to the Smithsonian, and the last time I was there, the Julia Child exhibit was up, and it's like a, a, a model of her kitchen. It's really cool, and now I'm excited to go back and see, and see Bob Ross painting. Yeah, we can That's add it awesome. to our. We can add it to our. Uh, where does it go road trip? Yeah, we're not that far from DC. It'd be an easy stop. We just got to get our bus. Yep, our chicken bus. <laughs> and painted. So what are you covering today, Sarah? I'm going to talk about where do bad children go for Christmas? <gasps> I'm going to talk about Santa or St. Nicholas's companion. So here in the United States, I grew up with the mythology that Santa Claus was making a list of good kids and bad kids and checking it twice. And the kids that didn't behave well, they got a lump of coal. Which is not such a great thing to get for Christmas when all your friends are getting, you know, a great, a doll or whatever. But it's much better than being kidnapped by an enslaved demon and spanked, whipped, or worse. <laughs> you got that right. <laughs> yeah. So I'm talking about a few of the traveling companions of St. Nicholas, who with the Dutch center, who the Dutch center class is based on. Uh, as well as uh, our Santa is based on. St. Nicholas traditionally had traveling companions, and most of them were the opposite of him, where he was the, the good one and gave the kids sweets and gifts. His traveling companions uh, were not so great. So St. Nicholas was a sweet, peaceful, sainted, holy man. He's probably from the Turkey area. He gave away his wealth. He, he saved a few children and performed miracles during his life. His friends that travel with him now, not so much. <laughs> so I made my own list. There's the, I, I'm, I'm not a French speaker, I'm sorry, Le, Le Père Fautard. Uh, he's believed in parts of France, Belgium, and French-speaking parts of Switzerland. This means, I guess, the whipping father. He's a scary-looking man who carries a whip or a bundle of switches and sometimes a wicker backpack so that he can snatch up the bad children and put them in there so he can whip them. He is said to travel with St. Nick because he has to atone for his sins because he murdered children and ate them before his gig with St. Nick. So now he's got to travel around with St. Nick and help him because he was bad in his life. Then there's Knecht Ruprecht. 
He's his origins are in Germany. He has a long beard and is covered in straw. He's meant to look like a farmhand or a peasant. He also carries around a bag of ashes. I couldn't really figure out why. I couldn't see any reason why he carries a bag of ashes. Um, he asks children if they know their prayers, and if he don't, he smacks them with his bag of ashes or his long staff. And if they were bad enough, he'd put the children in a sack and carry them back to black to the black forest to eat them or drown them in the river. That's rough. I know. And then there's Belsnickel. Um, is he's from parts of Germany. Belsnickel is interesting. He can either travel alone or with Saint Nick. And he is dressed all in furs over his entire body and wears a mask with a long tongue. He has pockets full of sweets, cakes, and candies for good kids, and a long hazel switch to whip the bad ones. And so I, I said before, he can travel with St. Nick or alone and come by uh, around December 6th, around when the time of the Feast of St. Nicholas is. And then we get to Zwarte Piet, or Black Piet. Black Pete is mostly a Dutch companion of Sinterklaas, the Dutch version of Santa that is based off the Saint Nick mythos. And some say Sinterklaas is also mixed with the stories of the Norse god Odin. So Black Pete was originally thought, like many of the companions of the Santa figure, to be captured or enslaved demons from the underworld who had to help Saint Nick as part of their punishment. However, the Black Pete character at some point changed over from a hell-blackened demon into a moor. And if you don't know what a moor is, because they're they're kind of referred in old kind of texts, is a Muslim person from Spain and Portugal and Morocco. We don't call them that anymore. They're just people. (laughs) The portrayal of Black Pete is pretty controversial now because of how symbolically racist the character is as he tends to be portrayed as having very overpronounced features like thick lips and curly wild hair which is similar to the black sambo character that is very racist in our own past some places said he's uh, actually black because he's covered in suit and nevertheless it does point to the time when black people and people of african ancestry were both demonized and thought to be subservient so there's kind of a doing away with the portrayals of black Pete because people are, you know, this is really pretty racist and we, we shouldn't portray him like this. Mm-hmm. Regardless, bad children might be snatched up by black Pete and taken back to the Moors. So he would take you back to Spain with them if you were really bad. I mean, Spain in the winter sounds a little bit better than, I don't know, like Southern Poland or something. Yeah, I know. It's like, like the whole kidnapped and taken away thing I think was the threat I was like I wouldn't I wouldn't mind being kidnapped and taken to Spain right now I mean, <laughs> I mean, <yeah. laughs> sounds kind of nice <laughs> and then of course for my last one we get to Krampus everyone's favorite so Krampus is really making a comeback which I find hilarious People really seem to love the character and think he's really funny nowadays. I didn't really hear much about him when I was a kid, but now people seem to love him. 
So Krampus cards, masks, and costumes are coming back into into fashion for some old-fashioned hell demon fun on the festivals. There's actually Krampus laufs and and walks in alpine regions of Germany where people dress up like devils and have some fun on Krampus Nacht. Krampus is a horned half-goat, half-man covered in black fur with often a spectacularly long red tongue. He looks a lot like a devil. His belief range is pretty large. He spans from Germany, like the Alpine regions of Germany and Bavaria, all the way to Slovakia and Slovenia, and pretty much everywhere in between. It's it's a pretty long range for a, a Saint Nick companion. He's even come over to the United States, and recently I've noticed, as I said, a lot more people know who he is and find his character fascinating Instead of just the people of, like, German and Northern Italian and Swiss ancestry knowing about him, it seems like a lot more people know who he is. Mm -hmm. So when traveling with St. Nick, he's also there to punish bad kids, just like the other companions. He might have switches he will swap bad children with or spank them. If they are particularly bad, he might put them in his bag and take them back to hell when he's done touring with St. Nick. So apparently this is not like a full-time gig for him. He just kind of does it part of the year. <laughs> right on. I mean, everyone needs a side hustle. Yeah, it's it, Krampus' side hustle is St. Nick's companion. So people have been giving each, each other Krampus cards since the 1800s. Um, if you do online search, there's a lot of pictures of really pretty old Krampus carton that people used to send, or Krampus cards, and in the early 30s, the German government tried to convince everyone he was evil and shouldn't be celebrated with St. Nick, but old Krampus won that fight, so Krampus never really went away. So Krampus is often depicting depicted carrying chains and bells, perhaps symbolizing his enslavement to St. Nick, and some people have theorized that it's an early symbol of the devil... I mean, paganism, I mean, the devil being chained by the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. So there's some paganism going on there because they think Krampus was before St. Nick. So if you're hearing this after December 5th, you're in luck. You've probably not been punished by any of these companions or have to worry about it because that is when the Feast of St. Nicholas is generally celebrated. It's on the eve of December 6th. Either that or you were kidnapped by demons, and now you're in Spain or in hell listening to us. So either way, thanks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would be it would be something to be the selected podcast for <laughs> listening in hell or Spain. <laughs> yeah, what does that say about us? <laughs> that we are notable. There we go. It was like they hell has replaced skinny puppy. With us. (laughs) From what I was reading about St. Nicholas mythology, it sounded like most kids got something and the characters were just to scare children because apparently to make children do things, we're obsessed with scaring the hell out of them. Um, But generally, yeah, it was like, you better be good or Krampus is going to come and put you in his backpack and take you back to hell like wow okay (laughs) 
we're so we're so uh, light these days <laughs> as far as child rearing, I guess. It is a it is a gentler time. I would say so. Though I did hear recently that they are replacing the old safe playgrounds with the like so sometime in the 80s they replaced play- playgrounds so that they had like black rubber. Mm-hmm. So that when kids fell, they wouldn't hurt themselves or whatever. But apparently that's cancerous. So now they're replacing the new playgrounds with old playgrounds so that kids can actually get hurt and have adventures and all this other stuff. That's a podcast for another time. But yeah, that's where bad children go to hell or to Spain <laughs> or get whipped. <laughs> I, I love to hell or Spain. <laughs> Or to Spain. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I actually didn't know most of that, but I think it's because I was raised in the sort of Irish Catholic tradition of just steal some German trappings for the holiday season and forget the demons. Yeah, the so the British Isles have Father Christmas, who is very similar to Santa Claus, Santa Claus, and Saint Nick. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think he has any traveling companions. I think you just get coal if you're bad. Yeah, that was always the threat. But honestly, I've been to Ireland, and a lot of like the little fireplaces burn coal, so it seems like that wouldn't be such a bad present, because at least you get to be warm. Kind of like being kidnapped to Spain. It's like, well, this is distressing, but it's warmer here than it is in Denmark. <laughs> I'm thinking, like, how bad do I have to be to be kidnapped to Spain? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, not so, like, trafficked to Spain. That would be terrible. But, like, actually just, you know, get a free flight. Yeah, in a a bag, on on a demon's bag. Yeah, I mean, there's probably cake and stuff in there. Yeah, and it's probably a direct flight, and you'll have company of, like, interesting sinners to hang out with. Exactly. It's like all my friends are in hell. I'd rather go there. (laughs) We're all going to Spain now. Yeah. (laughs) What did you do to get in here? (laughs) (laughs) So that's where Bob Ross's paintings go and where bad children go on Christmas or around Christmas. Yes. And uh, you can find out more about where things go at wheredoesitpodcast.com. Or you can email us if you've got any questions, comments, concerns, or suggested topics at wheredoesitpodcast at gmail.com. And we're on Twitter and Instagram, and you can find all that info linked on our website. And, uh, yeah, thanks, everybody, for listening. Merry Mushmas. Merry Mushmas to all.